Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of WTF Interviews. My name is Sir Royce Brialis with my prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. How's it going, brother? I'm good, man. How you doing? Ah, oh, man, I couldn't be better, man. Now, also, we were, uh, no, actually, before I even get into that, man, how are you, man? What are you, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. No, no yeah. worries, no complaints. Man. Everything copacetic over here, bro. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure before I even proceeded, man. Uh, Appreciate but you. Yeah, man. Uh, also, I'm pleased to announce, man, we have a very special guest with a very special story. Man, Herman Few. How are you doing, man? Did I say your name right? I wanted to make sure I got the aesthetics right, man, before I even go forward. No, you you hit it right on the mark. Uh, the few, the proud. <laughs> <laughs> that's powerful. Man, that's a mantra right there. That's beautiful. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So uh, first question I got for you, uh, Herman, uh, you know, what do you do? And you know, how many kids you got? What are their ages? Absolutely. Well, I'm a, a, a fatherhood advocate, a fatherhood uh, specialist. I facilitate groups. I do case management. Um, I do that with uh, the Children's Institute in Los Angeles, and we do that um, under a subheading of Project Fatherhood. In addition to that, um, I have my own organization called the Fatherhood Clinic, wow. and we, it's more it's more organic, but essentially we do groups on one-on-one -on -one assistance with navigation, um, education, um, anything and everything that I believe is important for fathers to be connected with their children. Um, I myself, I have two children. Uh, my daughter, she's eight just, well, not just, but she's 18. Alexia getting ready to graduate from high school, which just floors me because I just, it just seems like the other day, you know, I'm in the hospital with her. <laughs> and my son, he's 14 and he's graduated from middle school and getting ready to start high school. And wow. uh, time is flying, man. <laughs> That's cool. So um, is she looking at like any colleges? Yes, she, um, well, you know, we're being in, in California, we're, we're blessed. I really think it's a blessing. Our, our community college system is really strong. Mm -hmm. and, um, it's very, very, very affordable. So we're gonna, she's gonna go that route, you know, um, not just because of the money, but um, I think academically it's a good place for her. Uh, I think you you figure, man, it's been about a year. She They're just now going back on campus. So she hasn't yeah. been on campus for well over a year. Um, so socially, you know, you really wonder, well, what is that impact? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that um, community college is going to be good. She's really comfortable with that. So she's going to be going to uh, Pasadena Community College. Okay. That's cool. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's a, that's a good step. In her journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, I, so how did you get like um how did you get started in working with fathers and, and uh different fatherhood initiatives? So my my ordeal began literally back in 2008. I was living in Oakland and I was married, and obviously the marriage was having problems. Um we were married for nine years before we had our child. So we were even beginning to think, well, maybe we just weren't going to be blessed with kids and maybe um, we were going to have to adopt some children. So we started looking into that. Finally, uh, my wife at the time got married. And, uh, you know, I felt like when our daughter was born, it kind of re-strengthened our marriage. Uh -huh. Things were good, a lot better than they had been for a long while. But there, shortly after my daughter was born, maybe when she was about two, now my wife starts talking about, I want another kid. So, you know, I'm like, well, okay. But I'm also thinking I couldn't do much more, <laughs> yes. you know, because at the time I was, I was working full time with the school district. And at that time I was also, um, I was an agent. Well, actually, I hadn't become an agent then, but I was in the sports industry. 
Okay. So, um, I was working for, uh, I was a West Coast recruiter, literally for No Limit Sports. And um, I was thinking about, you know, branching off, doing my own thing. So I was, so I had that responsibility. I was, I was a husband. I was still trying to keep those, those duties that I felt, you know, was, was, was there. So I was thinking, well, how, well, if we have another kid, how can I stretch this out? Yeah. But um, she insisted and I says, okay. So I was blessed with my son. And the irony of it was his name is Sterling. One of the only things, Great name. one of the only things that me and my wife agreed upon, even before we were married was we were gonna have a son, we were gonna name him Sterling. But <laughs> when my daughter was born about a month before she was born, I said, that child is not a boy, it's a girl. And we got to come up with the name. But when my son was born, you know, we didn't have to worry about no name. We had the name already. So Sterling came along and I mean, he he's a blessing. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm proud Papa. But one thing I can say, um, I think as much as that was a blessing, that was actually the final straw in the marriage. Mm. And um, before he was, a little bit after he was one is when um, I literally, you know, people find this hard to believe because I'm, I'm a big guy, you know, 6'5", uh, 240. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the time, I was about 250. But I, I, I was assaulted by my wife. Mm-hmm. Had it not been for the grace of God for me to have the wherewithal to go to the authorities and report this, things would have went terribly wrong. Uh-huh. Still went bad, but they didn't go as bad. <laughs> okay. Um, so that was in 2008, and that set off a chain of events where I fought for custody literally for three years to maintain joint legal and joint physical custody, which I got, but it cost me basically everything. Uh-huh. You know, I spent probably I spent over a hundred thousand dollars in cash you know, which I was only able to get, I had to sell my house where we were able to, um, at that time we sold where we actually had a profit, but all the profit went to the attorneys, to the court evaluators. I mean, it's, that was a sham, but I had to make a decision at that time, what was the most important thing? And I didn't want to just let them go off to LA and me just sign a check and be about and be done with that. I, I wanted to be in the nurturing process. You know, I, I had a lot of friends that so-called friends at the time tell me, well, why don't you just let the kids go with their mom? And since you like kids so much, get you a younger woman and get some more kids. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, no, man, I just, I just couldn't do that, you know? So literally for five years, <laughs> Every Thursday night or Friday, I drove from Oakland to LA. Because mm. after three years, you know, I went through a divorce trial, a child custody trial, child support trial. So three trials. I went through before that a mediation hearing. I went through a deposition uh, hearing, yeah. and none of it was favorable to me. Well, um, how how far is that? Like three, four hours from Oakland to, to LA. Well, I was driving about 80 to 90 miles an hour. I'd get there in about five and a half hours. Mm. Wow. And I did, I, I did that for five years. And um, I did that because after the evaluators actually evaluated me, they said, well, the kids are no better off with their mother than their father. Cause they said, you are a wonderful father, but we can't split the kids in half. So we'll let, we'll give you liberal visitation which I don't even use the word visitation because I don't believe you visit your own kids. No. So I call that, matter of fact, I have some people down in LA that are trying to change that verbiage to vivid visitation because I think it gives the wrong connotation to everybody. Yeah. You'll never visit your kids. So I call it um, custodial time. But yeah. I had, because the kids were so young, I had to have my custodial time in LA and there was times when financially I didn't have money. I could barely get down here. I was exhausted because I still was working, 
full-time up in Oakland, you know, in the school system. So I had to be back at work at eight o'clock Monday morning. Mm. And Sunday night, I didn't really sleep. You know, so I did that for five years because um, I was bound and determined to be part of raising the kids. And then, unfortunately, my mother got sick. So I became her primary caregiver. Uh-huh. And I stayed down in L.A., but I still, all during her sickness, she eventually passed away after three years, but all during her sickness, I never missed a visitation. I never told the kids, well, grandma's sick, so we're going to, I mean, I tried to keep things as normal as possible. Um, and to be honest with you, I would do the same thing again. Um, even though, I mean, it, it really bankrupted me, but um, the time that I, I got with my kids, that's why right now we're like tighter than tight, you know, and that's what I want. I wanted the relationship. So, um, so what happened was because it was such a long process, many times I felt lonely. I felt like nobody really understood what I was going through. Um, I mean, countless times going to court. And, you know, um, not that I didn't have people supporting me, but they didn't understand this, this, this terrible urge I had to be a father uh-huh. in the person, not from a distance, you know. So I don't know, halfway through this, five, six, seven years into this, I went online and I said, there's got to be some fatherhood groups or something. And that's when I ran across Project Fatherhood. So I also, you know, I had to stop my, my income because like I said, I was taking care of my mother. So I had to restart my career and I wanted to do something I was really passionate about. So when I found Project Fatherhood, I'm like, well, wait a minute. I myself could use the assistance, but I, by this time I had been through so much and I knew I had a lot to offer. So I just called them up and I said, look, I want to. I want to get down with you guys. I I, I want to meet. I, I want to meet the person running this. I want to present myself to you, and because uh, I can help you. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 what happened, man. I had an interview, and the guy was blown away, and he told me we we interviewed on a Friday, and he told me, well, starting Monday, we have what they call the five day training, and he said I can't I can't promise you anything, but I can tell you regardless of what capacity you come in, you're gonna to have to do the five-day training. Hmm. So I told him, he said, so would you be available? And I told him, yeah, I've already penciled in my calendar. <laughs> I mean, that's how I knew that's where I needed to be. So I came, I went through the training within a month. Um, they said, Herman, we, we want you to come in and, and learn the model. And before I knew it, there were some other facilitators that were leaving. Before I knew it, I was facilitating four groups, co-facilitating. And before I knew it, a lot of the groups, sometimes I was doing it by myself. But I had an opportunity in a six-month period to really be trained on the model. And the model was by a gentleman by Dr. Herschel Swinger. And it was was made for um, black and brown fathers low urban fathers and he knew what the challenges that they were going through but like dr swinger used to say he never he never met a father that didn't love his children he said he met fathers before that maybe didn't know how to relate because oftentimes in the black and brown community maybe our relationship with our father wasn't what it could have been and should have been so we maybe didn't know how to be a father so he created this merge model, which it just totally man changed my life um, to the point that um, I'm, I'm implementing that in the fatherhood clinic. And I know that um, because my background is sports, uh-huh. um, I know the professional sports world can benefit by this as well. So I'm in the process of trying to put things together so these brothers can sit down and go through what I do three, four, five times a week with quote unquote nine to five fathers, but it's, it's 
to a large degree the same issues. Yeah. Wow, man, you have a very uh, specific story, man. No one's had your story. <laughs> <laughs> no, pop, pop, pop. but you know what? I have to tell you, fellas, um, even when, I mean, I remember driving up and down the freeway, the five freeway, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of California, exhausted, trying to get back to Oakland or trying to make it down to LA to get to Pasadena before six o'clock because if I wasn't there at six, the mother may take the kids and tell me try again tomorrow, <laughs> you know. Um, but never in that equation did I feel persecuted. I just, I kept my eye on, I just knew it was the right thing to do. And now when I double back and look at it, I think that that, those experiences allowed me to have the vision and foresight that I have now, where I'm able to help these guys because I don't help them out the textbook. I mean, now we're using a, a curriculum 24 seven dad and that is a textbook. Mm -hmm. So we use part of that, but it's straight connection. Everybody that comes in to my group, I connect. Yeah. And, and for whatever reason, it seems like there's a piece of it, their story that I can relate to, you know, so. It's amazing, man. The more you get connected with uh, everyone, man, the more you see that you're connected to them right. as well. You know, my question to you, uh, I've been thinking about this the entire time you've been talking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, uh, I'm imagining you driving on the road for five and a half hours. So my first question this is a two part question. First question is, what was your favorite song to play during that five and a half hour stretch? You got a oh, very, wow. I know, I bet your music catalog has to be very, uh, you know, specific to you in that so, stretch. So, okay, that's, that's an interesting question. When I started off, <laughs> so mind you, I burned out two cars. Because imagine the miles I'm putting on cars. Yeah. yeah. So when, I, when I started off, I had uh, XM radio. Oh. radio. So I had my little rotation, man. Sometimes I would listen to sports talk. Um, sometimes I would listen to R&B. Sometimes I, I would listen to comedy. Sometimes, you know, some political flavor, something like that. But I'm an I'm, I'm R&B guy. Yeah. So... Um, I love After Seven. That's <laughs> give, me one, give me a song. I'm add it to the list, man. I got oh, me a song, man. I, you know that wouldn't even be fair because I mean, geez, man. After Seven is with uh, Babyface brother, right? Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. Um, I'm I'm I, I'm picturing the group, but well, yeah. and then the lead singer was Kevon Evans. Yeah, yeah. Happens, you know, so then he he went off and he had a, a matter of fact, I think the name of his album, well, 20, working my time, uh, I think 24-7. But, but I have to say, even more so than one song, what I found myself that really inspired me, and I'm just going to say it, man, I listened to Minister Farrakhan before. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Um, but I listen, I just listened to, um, where he spoke, you know, matter of fact, he did this great, great speech, 19, it was 1994 for the Black Coaches Association. And he talked about the responsibility of a coach, but I, for some reason I related to it because it, well, I was a coach too, <laughs> but he spoke about how many of the athletes black didn't have fathers. So oftentimes as a coach, you had to be a, a father. So he just talked about responsibility. He talked about being strong. And, you know, I, I felt that I was going against the system, but I felt that I always had to be strong. So I was always looking to draw strength. And I have to say, I draw a lot of strength from him. Um, another gentleman that I drew a lot of strength from was Dr. Harry Edwards, sports sociologist. And uh, in fact, I, I used him, he kind of motivated me to go into my chosen field of sports psychology. And when I went to the Bay Area, I didn't know anybody. At the time, Dr. Edwards was working at Cal, University of California. And I just yeah. went to the school, 
found his office hours and I had probably one of the most stimulating conversations in my life. We talked for about 45 minutes, but I listened to a lot of that, a lot of YouTube stuff and um, a lot of R&B, um, old school throwback. I listened to a lot of Knee Deep <laughs> Parliament, oh, yeah. um, but I wanted the, the energy, you know, just the flow. Um, so yeah, I, I, I know I didn't really answer your question, but. <laughs> but you got, I, I hate to put you on the spot. You gotta give me one. You gotta give me one song. It ain't gotta be your favorite. Give me one song that was on the radio that was on your speaker system during those hours, those countless hours you were on the road. It has to be one song you can give to me. One, just one. It ain't gotta be 10, one of them. Okay, okay. Um, and I'm a music guy too. I know you are. <laughs> Keisha Cole. Okay. Give me a song. Heaven sent. Heaven sent, Keisha Cole. Okay, Keisha Cole, Heaven Sent. Boom, that's one of them. That's a good song you too. I, I want to ask you about um, since we're talking about the drive, right? To, yeah. From Oakland to California. Where do you think that that drive came from to be a part of your, your kid's life? Because I know you were saying like some of your friends was like, just you know, get you a younger woman and have some old kids. Right. But like, what was it in you that made you, you know, that drove you to, to do that every week? You know, what's, what's really funny about it is um, my mother was like my best friend. Mm -hmm. And she was my mother. Obviously, she wasn't a father figure. I, you know, I had a father who, unfortunately, I did not have a good relationship with. Mm -hmm. But my mother was a dedicated parent. So I learned a lot of my parenting skills from my mother. And my mother, there's nothing she wouldn't do for me and my sister. Mm -hmm. And I think my drive was I saw she had it tough. She never complained. She was always there for us. And I remember when everything took place um, after I was assaulted and displaced from the home and within three months, um, the kids were removed out of Northern California and brought down here. And my mother told me, she said, they're not going to just take your kids from you. And at the time, we, you know, we were like, I didn't have a lot of money. She didn't have a lot of money. We're like, how are we going to fight this? And my mother told me, she had a house in LA. She said, if we need to put the house up to get the money out the house to fight this, mm -hmm. this is what we're going to do. Right. But they're not going to just take your kids. And I think, you know, nobody ever asked me that question. But when you asked me that, I think it had to have been my mother. Right. My mother, her commitment to me and her uh, reinforcing to me that, dude, you're going to step up. Yeah. You're going to step up. And not that I didn't want to step up, but I mean, I was really I was really in shock. Yeah. In fact, what I didn't tell you. Um, so this happened right before. And I think that's probably why right now I'm so emotional about my daughter graduating, because this happened right before my daughter was to start kindergarten. So right. her first day at school, I was displaced from the house. And I remember my mother telling me. You need to make sure you go to school the first day. You're the father. You need to go. And I was like, well, but what? She's like, I don't care about all that. You're the father. You need to be there. And I did go the first day. And uh, she didn't show up, though. And I waited. I was there for about three or four hours thinking she was going to come late. And the principal asked me to... Um, had I talked to the mother and by this time we, we weren't even talking. And then uh, I, re I remember I was there and I was helping a lot of other kids come in the first day, you know, as I was just sitting there. And then I came back the next day and before I could get to the principal's office, she saw me coming down the hallway and she ran up to me and she said, Mr. Few, I'm, I'm so sorry, but your daughter was taken out of the school. We tried to find out where she was at. And it looks like she's in some private school. And at that point, I knew they were taken to L.A. Mm -hmm. 
up until then, I didn't know where they were, what was going on, because they did it kind of in the dark. Mm-hmm. And that was when I decided I wanted a divorce. And I went, I went to the court to get the forms. And I'm like, because up until then, it was about a three month period. And I really didn't know what to do. I really didn't know what to do. But um, at that time, you know, my mother just confirmed to me that you got to stay with this. Yeah. And that's what it was. So can you talk about like your relationship with your father? I know that you said that you all um, really didn't have a close relationship, but like how, how was he as a person? So I always felt when I was younger that he was, that he didn't like me, mm. you know, and, I, and it was hard because, you know, I grew up quote unquote middle class. My father was in the military. He was an air force officer. So people were always like, you should be lucky. You should be, you know, you, we weren't poor, we weren't rich, but we weren't poor, you know, and everybody kind of was like, oh, you're lucky, you're lucky. But I always felt like my father had something against me. And then later I found that he was jealous of me. Um, I was considered to be a good kid. A lot of people liked me. I was quote unquote, I did the right thing. And my father was a womanizer and my father didn't always do the right thing. Um, now he did have, he did quote unquote pay the bills, but he wasn't emotionally there for none of us really, you know? And I think he resented the fact that I knew that. And as I got older, he got more and more developed, more and more disdain for me to the point when I was about 17, 18 years old, he really wanted to get me in a fisticuffs. Uh-huh. And at that point, that's when my mother said, you know, you, you can't be here. We, you, what, I'm going to come home and you're out fighting in the front yard. No, 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 no. You, maybe you need to go. And I remember that's, that's when he left. Um, so we were kind of on again, off again. When my daughter was born and when my son was born, I wanted him to be in their lives. Uh-huh. Even though I had this funny feeling towards him, I put all that behind because I said, look, I love my kids so much. If my father had something to offer them, so be it. Plus, I felt it was only fair that they have a relationship. They knew all their family both sides of the family. And I thought it was important that they knew the grandfather, but to show you how much disdain that he had for me. So I shared with you, I had three trials. The last trial I had, my ex-wife brought my father in and he testified against me in the court. And the judge could not believe his ears what he was hearing. Absolutely, because he was saying, the kids should not be brought back to Oakland. The kids need to stay in L.A. Nobody's up in L.A. but him, <laughs> him being the father. Yeah. He was going on and on, and, you know, and the judge was like, no. So while I was going through all this, you know, go, basically going through a divorce, going through being displaced, um, I had just lost my uncle, who was probably the second closest person I was to. My father joined in with my ex-wife and her family and they literally tried to destroy me that's crazy yeah so um nobody can understand that they're like you know when you first start telling people you got a problem with your father they think well what'd you do what's wrong with you you know um so i went um he constantly would be there because it was domestic violence we all the pickup drop-offs were at a police station you know, he would come to try to ab- ag- agitate. Um, it was bad. He would get when he was with, when the kids were with my ex-wife, he would come around then. He would say things to the kids about me, about my mother. So in hindsight, I think it was a lot of jealousy. Hmm. You know, I like from, um, I guess like from a father to a son, I haven't, heard that before i mean i've seen cases or examples of women where like a mother is jealous of her daughter or something like that but this is the first time i heard that from like so i grew up and i would kind of try to try to talk to my mother about you know it wasn't really cool Mm -hmm. and she would kind of make up for him and say no that's not it he he just doesn't know how to relate so forth and so on 
But then as I got older, when we would keep talking and stuff, she said, for my mother now, her, her, her perspective was, he's upset because he's not the man you, you are becoming. Uh, mm. I don't know. I mean, that, that's her perspective. Um, I never was disrespectful. I never brought shame to the family or anything like that. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure he sensed by disapproval, especially the womanizing was a problem for me. Yeah. When, I, when I got older and saw what was really going on because I saw what it was doing to my mother and I saw how that's why he wasn't really available, emotionally available to me and my sister. And I kind of resented that. So I think he took that as an affront to him. Like, how dare I have any feelings towards that? Yeah. That ain't my business. <laughs> so I like to ask this question. Um, and really already asked it. You already answered it when I, uh, we booked this, uh, this call. I asked, uh, what does fatherhood mean to you? And Herman, you said fatherhood is a calling, all caps. Sometimes it's difficult to put in a few words. And that's what it means exactly to me. And, uh, you know, I think that's important, man, uh, for you to be able to explain what that means to you. So I want to give you the floor, man. And uh, if you could expound on that, you know what I'm saying, for the people. Uh, Well, you know, um, when I think of fatherhood, I I think of it from a couple of different lenses, different perspectives. Um, I think of it as a father, but I also think of it as a son. And, you know, I just, I just can't understand why, you know, I mean, so not only did I have issues with my father, but my father-in-law, who early in our relationship, we had a really good relationship. But when, by the time me and my wife broke up, it was like, it was almost like a conspiracy. My father-in-law and my father went to try to destroyed me and my relationship with my kids. So after experiencing and having to fight against that, and the main fight was financial. I mean, I didn't have the money that they had collectively, no way, you know, but there was something inside of me that told me I could survive this and live to tell about how important it is to stay in your kid's life. And, um, that's why I think God showed me a lot of things. And I, you know, like I said, I never felt persecuted. I felt like it was, it was a teaching. So when I talk about it being a, a calling, I think about it from so many different perspectives. And I think about, you know, how important it is to try to be the most righteous father you can be. I mean, I'm not perfect, none of us are perfect, but it's, it's so terribly important. So is your dad still around or is he still alive? You know, he is. And I'll I'll share this with you really quick. Um, I hadn't seen my father. Well, the last time I talked to him was probably 2009. Okay. But I actually, real talk, I called him on his birthday, which happened to be, it was a date when I had a court case. And I just called him as I always did to wish him happy birthday. And he started asking me questions about the court, you know, and then it was clear to me he had been talking to my ex-wife. And then he informed me I only called him because I wanted something from him. And I said, no, I called you because I thought you're my father and it's your birthday. (laughs) But, you know, so that was really the last conversation I had. Then he tried to reach back to me about four or five months later And he informed me that he had been talking to the custody evaluators and told them that it would be better for my kids to stay in LA. And I said to him, how how dare you do that? I said, are you aware of what I'm fighting against? And how could you do that? That was the last conversation we had. And then, you know, like I said, there would be interaction, but it would be negative interaction. Um, But this past December, I was just walking in a park, not too far from he, where he lives, place I used to always go to seek solace. There's a walking path. And as I'm going across the bridge, coming up on a bridge, I looked 
here comes my father. <laughs> Small world after all, ain't it? Man, man, man. So now mind you, you know, my father now, he's he's over 80 years old. Um, so he was walking, but he was laboring a little bit. And I'm walking, I'm like, that's my dad, you know. And it was a part of me that was like, I should push him over the day. You know? <laughs> but, but, you know, he kept coming and, but he kind of like had his head down cause he was laboring a little bit and he was doing this walk. And as he came to me, I said, uh, Mr. Few. Now the irony is we have the same exact name. I'm a junior. Mm. <laughs> so Few. That's only a few times he hears that name. Right. And he, he looked up and he, all, he almost <laughs> fell over the bridge, you know. And he was like, oh, you know, he was shocked. And um, and I put my hand out and I shook his hand, you know. And then he had told me he had seen my kids, um, which I knew. He had seen them on uh, Thanksgiving, you know. And then he started talking about, wow, your, your daughter's beautiful and this, that, and the other. And, I said, yeah, and I said, I'm very proud of her. And then we talked a little bit about, you know, her playing. She plays the instrument. And he said, oh, I, I'm hearing she's going to go to community college. And I said, yeah. And he's like, oh, and she's healthy. And so, so let me tell you, all during the pandemic, she was with me for like eight months straight every day. She didn't even go see her mother. But her mother kept my son from me. So that's a whole nother thing. But... You know, I just told him, well, yeah, I, I like to think I have a little bit about a little bit to do with her progress. <laughs> you know, I said, but I'm sure you hear it differently. And he, oh, no, 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 you know. <laughs> but So we, we, we exchanged for about maybe 25 minutes. And then he said, well, you know, um, and at the time things were still shut down. So there was, you know, COVID-19, we were still kind of on lockdown. People still had the mask on. Well, they still do. And he just said, well, give me a call sometimes and, you know, maybe we can get together. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a yearning for that, uh -huh. but I did feel it was appropriate for me. It was a blessing for me to see him and to see him in my strength, Yeah, you know? And um, I mean, I haven't totally rebuilt everything, but I have emotionally and mentally. I'm strong, you know, and um, I'm very proud of the work that I do. And guys call me up, Herman, man, thank you, thank you, thank you. So even though I didn't go into all that detail with him, um, I know that resonated from me. Yeah. And, and I, and I, and I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 55 years old. But I believe, man, that you always, to a little bit, seek your approval from your parents. You, yeah. you want your, especially a boy wants to think that his father can't say he's a buster. So <laughs> that's important. So, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, nah, nah, partner, this is what's happening. You know. So yeah, that's cool. That's, that's cool, man. Uh, my question, uh, next question I had is. Um, how did um, your experience uh, experiences affect your children? We talked a lot about your story, about you know your dad even, uh, but what about your kids? How has you know what you've been experiencing as a dad you know affected them? And also, next question, two questions: Which one of your kids is most like you? You got two of them. You got one of them that's like you, or both of them are like you? Like who is the the most like Hermit? So. Sterling, my son, who looks, <laughs> no, but funny thing, looks more like his mother. Uh -huh. Daughter, people think is like my twin, you know. Um, but my son, I look at him, and although people say he's looking more like me now, but I'm like, eh, I don't really see it. But I feel like he's got my insides. You know? <laughs> he, I mean, um, and not even like, he's not a sports guy. I mean, I love sports. He'll, he'll watch a game with me, but that's not his thing, you know, but, but I feel like he's got 
my perceptions, my awareness. Uh, he's very fair, very, very uh-huh. fair. My daughter, she's spoiled, <laughs> I, you know, and, and, and I take ownership and part of that. Um, and she's a female and now she's becoming a young lady. So um, women are definitely different than men, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know? but she's, she's, she's not, we're a lot alike in terms of, I think we have the same value system, but her, expression of it is a lot different than say me and my sons my son you know um so i would probably say my son is more like me what was the other question and how were they affected during the transition from being married to divorced and you know up to the point where you are now how do you think they were affected the most well well i think it's difficult for any kids when their parents aren't together i think it was different for them both. So I start off with my daughter because she's older. Because, as I said, she looks just like me and she yearned to, I want to be with my dad. I want to be with my dad. And she tell her mom that, I think her mom took that out on her. And her mom emotionally abused her because of that. Mm. Okay. My son, um, because he looks more like her and he... Was, he was more diplomatic about it and didn't speak about it the way my way my daughter did. She mistakenly took that as he was almost indifferent about it, which he wasn't. As he got older, um, I never forget he told me when he was probably five or six years old. I was still carrying him. Uh, we were just, I was carrying him across the street, you mm-hmm. know, and he said to me, Dad. I don't know why mom doesn't want me to love you, but dad, you're the best dad in the world. So <laughs> that had to feel good. Oh, I mean, it did. <laughs> you know, not not even because I was looking for the accolades, but because I knew we were connected. And and then one time I remember right around that time, he told me he wanted to apologize to me because he said, when I was three years old, <laughs> mm. I I believed my mom. And I said, do you believe her now? He says, no. And I said, said, you owe me no apology. When you're three years old, most three-year-olds listen to their moms. And, you know, he was with her the majority of the time. But I said, no, man, you don't don't have to apologize to me. (laughs) You know. I said, I love you too. I said, we we straight. We straight, you know. But um, they 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 were affected especially because there was so many outside interference in this custody dispute. Mm. Whenever I wasn't around, they were being tried to, they were tried, they were trying to poison them with thoughts against me, but it just didn't add up because whenever they were with me, they were like, no, my dad's not like that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not right. <laughs> so how, how is your relationship with your ex-wife now? Mm. So um, when we started this thing off, um, we were supposed to, in any responsible co-parenting, you got to talk, you know. Right. So that's what I attempted to do. Um, she was so disrespectful, so negative. Um, she used the fact that we were supposed to be talking about co-parenting. She used that to say the most awful, destructive things to me. So I eventually told her, you have now lost the privilege to talk to me. Mm -hmm. I said, don't get me wrong. You have information about the kids when the kids are with you that I need to know. So you can either text me the information. You have my number. You can leave a voicemail or you can leave an email but I no longer will talk to you because this is just absurd the way you talk to me. I'm not a dog. I'm not married to you anymore. I don't have to put up with this. I've tried to be patient, but you won't stop. You can't control yourself. So we really have never had a conversation in probably almost 10 years. Uh Now, the irony of it is, as I told you, my daughter's due to graduate 
uh, from high school. They're having a, their uh, high school graduation at the Rose Bowl on oh. Ju June 5th, right? She's got <laughs> four tickets. So me, her brother, and I'm sure her mother. So there's this other ticket. I told my daughter that anybody that took that fourth ticket, it would probably, if it was a friend of mine, male or female, it would be a problem for the mother. And if it was a friend of the mother's, the mother would be into this, look at him, look at him. So I told my daughter, you probably wanted to give that ticket away and probably just be your mother and your brother to go. But check this out. I told my daughter, I said, this may sound crazy, but I said, what do you want to do after the graduation? She said, well, I'll probably go to eat with me, my brother and my mom, and then me, my brother, and you will go to eat. And I said, we can do that. Or you can tell your mom that the four of us can go to eat. I'll pay for, I'll pay for a meal after your graduate. And I'm only doing this because I'm thinking how tough that's got to be for my daughter. Yeah. yeah. And I told her, I said, look, I can promise you I can behave. I, I can't, I don't know. <laughs> you, you, you probably know better what your mom will or won't do, but <laughs> this is what I'll do. You, if you want to do that, I'll make reservations. I'll set it up. I said, there won't be no incident because if your mom gets out of line, I'll just respectfully uh, excuse myself. I got a dinner party. Like, uh, right. excuse right. me, you know. Right. <laughs> so That's going to be a great dinner, though. It should be great for them to see you two together. Yeah. I, you know, um, yeah, I, th I think so. Yeah. Because so. you know, they're, they're both like both of them. You know what I'm saying? They, they got, you got one that's like you and one that's like your wife, your ex-wife. Like, yeah, uh, although although um, my daughter and her mother, the, my daughter uh, don't really force do versus the unstoppable object. Yeah. There I go. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know, man. It's uh, life is is a trip. It's, it, goes, <laughs> it goes it goes fast, you know. So I'm just trying to, you know, um, make every day count, you know. And I've, I, you know, I've learned it's not always a big event, but it's quality. It's not even quantity, but it's quality, quality of the moment, and that's what I'm trying to teach the kids. And I'm trying to live by that mantra and um, really count your blessings. Herman, so we getting close to time, man. I have one last question for you before we yes, uh, get ready to wrap. Um, you were saying like you and your wife, we, uh, like before y'all even had kids, y'all said that, you know, if y'all have a boy, you're gonna name him Sterling. So what's the significance of the name Sterling? So uh, <laughs> when we were dating, we were, I remember we were over at my mother's house, I was watching ESPN, mm -hmm. and Sterling Sharp. <laughs> oh my <Yeah>. God. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we were like, she's like, man, that's a cool name. And I'm like, it is cool. And I had already decided even though I was named Herman after my father and grandfather, I didn't want to keep that going. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I felt that everybody should have their own identity and being, I would have been the third, but we, I didn't have the same, my grandfather didn't have a middle name. So mm -hmm. legally I was the second, but I was really the third. And it, it, it gets confusing. And I didn't want my son to go through that. So I knew it wasn't going to be no Herman. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought Sterling was a cool name. But um, I thought it represent, I mean, what a fine name. Sterling, that's yeah. fine. You know, and my daughter's name is Alexia, which means helper, helper of mankind. So I always used to tell hmm. your daddy's helper, <laughs> you know. That's nice. Yeah. That's cool. And I had one last question for you too. Um, 
if you had to give any advice to any, you know, dads anywhere, you know, because uh, we, we are trying to reach the world. So if you had to give uh, advice to any dad, what would that be? No matter how difficult it is, no matter how much it seems like it's to no avail, you continue to be there for your kids. Don't let, and understand nobody can take the relationship from your kids unless you let them. Even the system, even if you're incarcerated, uh, even if you got trumped up stuff going against you in family court, um, there's an innate connection that kids have. Kids want to connect with their father. That's what I know. And when there's a break, that's when the father allows for it to be a break. And even ideally, you don't want to have a lot of time lapsed. But even if time lapsed, if you are connected in your heart, in your mind, to your kid, and you don't accept that they're not going to be in your life, it, it will come full circle. That's what, that's what I believe. Beautiful. Beautiful, man. Uh, I definitely appreciate you, man. Your, your story is definitely one of a kind, man. I always say uh, the last, I think, 10 episodes, I think I've said this is my one of my favorites. And I really mean that. Like, I, I think I'm, I'm gathering a collection of my all-time favorites. I might come out with my version of my all-time favorites. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this is one of them, man. I think uh, people need to hear this type of story because no matter what, man, uh, Herman, you've been there for your kids. Like, no matter what the system told you, no matter what your ex-wife told you, no matter what anybody told you, right. you've been there. Right. That's, right. that's something that no one can take from you, no matter what. And right. That's that, and that's more important than how much money you got in the bank, what kind of car you drive, yeah. what kind of bling you got. No matter at all. Just what, no. what did you do for your children? Right. Cause they become you like at the right. end of the day, they become who you, you know what I'm saying? Portray yourself to be, they look up to you. You're an example. Right. So that's, that's powerful, man. Your kids are uh, going to be well better for it because you are here uh, right now. So thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Dr. Raheem, did you have anything else? Oh, no, man. I just want to uh, say thank you again. We appreciate you, man. This this was one of my favorites. <laughs> right, this, this was good. Dr. Raheem Carolina, too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, for myself, for Sir Lord Cialis, for Dr. Raheem Young, and for Herman Hughes, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for further announcements. Thank you, fellas. Thank you. Yep. Boom. Finished it. <laughs>